Welcome back to Soul Back, the R&B podcast. This is your host, Kyle. I've got Tom and Ed with me. What's going on, guys? What's up, players? What's up? Glad to be back. I missed you guys last week. Well, last week you dodged me just ranting and raving, so I got my <laughs> breath back. I'm back. And a lot of people, I just want to comment real quick on this because people are like, player, why did you get so worked up? over the Bruno Mars situation, because you sound like you were about to have a heart attack on air. And the reason why is because I am, as most people know, outside of the podcast, I write about social justice issues in real life. So when it comes to situations where we're talking about appropriation and stuff, that's very, very serious business to me. So that's why I got a little animated, because there are very serious things going on in our world and in our, in our industry that we want to put shine the spotlight on. And I don't think it's cool to make a big drama out of nothing. So, yes, I'm calm now, though, y'all. <laughs> Excellent. So, this podcast is going to be very exciting. We have a special guest, Nokio from the R&B group Drew Hill, will be joining us. He's a bright dude and someone that knows the industry inside and out. So, we'll definitely... You guys have to definitely stay tuned for that. But, Tom, we want to get started on some new music here. Our boy Bobby V is back, and you interviewed Tim Kelly of Tim and Bob. He was very excited about this project, too, right? Yeah, Bobby V's new album, Electric, was out. Um, I saw an interesting uh, post we made on, you, you made on the, our Instagram, Kyle, about how people aren't supporting, and you mentioned a few albums that are coming out this month. That, that was awesome. But, yeah, I mean, uh, just so everyone knows, that album's out now. Go out and support Bobby V. He's a big supporter of us. Uh, yeah, we did talk to Tim Kelly. He produced the whole project back where they started uh, from his first album. Has some elements of that first album on it, too. Uh, Kyle, you listened to it. Did you hear some of those elements? Um, yeah, I did, especially on the first single, Little Bit, with Snoop. I think there was one more record on there that had that Asian influence on it that Tim and Bob brought to the table in the mid-2000s. And Ed, I know we kind of go back and forth on this album. We have our disagreements. But to me, and like I said, I love Bobby V, but I think some of it was just the standard that I hold Bobby and Tim and Bob to. But this wasn't really the one that got me. I mean, I was hoping for something closer to his debut, and I didn't quite get that. Ed, what did you think? Um, Well, looking around online, the opinions have really been mixed. Some people really liked it. Some people thought it was really bad. And I think that, I don't know if expectations were too high, but I thought it was pretty solid. Like, to um, go to Tom's point, I think that there's a lot of influence from the first original Bobby V album here. And for those songs, it really worked. But the problem was there were a lot of other tracks that just fell short. Whether it was the kind of the trap sounding ones and a couple of tracks near the end of the album that were kind of a little too poppy for my taste. It just felt a little uneven, like it was a little half-baked. I feel like if he took the good songs, went back, spent a little bit more time with it, he could have come back with something really special. So if you're missing that original, original Bobby V sound, you'll find a little bit of that here. But it's not the throwback to the glory days like I think a lot of fans expect. You know what it is, though? I, I, I will say... I just feel like we always talk about this generation. They're kind of stuck in the middle, and they don't know which direction to go because we heard the Peach Moon album he did, which has really grown. We heard his last album, Hollywood Hearts, which was more futuristic R&B. 
I just think Bobby's kind of searching a little bit, and and, and not, no fault of his own, but he's just trying to figure out what will fit, what will make him, quote-unquote, relevant to the mainstream again. And I just think it's unfortunate that that generation has to go through that a bit. That's the problem. I, and I don't want to call it a problem, but that's kind of the, the hurdle that R&B is facing right now. It's trying to discover its identity. We had the 90, early 90s, and even the late 80s, where R&B had a distinct sound, whether it was New Jack Swing or going into the more Motown Philly type sound, and then the later the sound that Jodeci kind of influenced. And then in the later two, 90s and the 2000s, we had the neo-soul movement, the hip-hop influence. But I think now we're just kind of, we don't know what, R&B doesn't know what to do with itself. And that's why we've got the trap songs and the song the auto-tune over explosion r&b trying to find itself and fans are kind of confused so i think that's where some of that kind of indecisiveness comes from absolutely but you know what we'll see i mean shout outs to tim kelly he's signing literally every r&b artist to his label mm-hmm. right now and you know what i think he's trying to figure it out too on what's gonna work on radio and what's, you know, just for the listeners that love that diehard 90s R&B on that Urban AC format. So he's trying to figure it out as well. Because I know that Bobby and Snoop Song was charting on Urban for a second. So we'll have to see. I'm really excited about what he has coming up as well. Now, an, an artist that has been charting on Urban is Tank. And recently, one of the other media outlets, I think it was Vulture.com, posted an article saying that When We is Tank's biggest record to date, and they were talking about how it managed to get to number one. And most recently, he put on a remix with Trey Songs and Ed, your favorite artist of all time, Ty Dolla Sign. Oh, boy, Ty Dolla Sign. We, y'all going to keep holding the door open for Ty, huh? <laughs> but, Tom, I thought it was really interesting. I mean, we've talked about the single and how we feel about it a lot and extensively on our other episodes but the one thing in that article that really um stood out to me was at tank's tour he actually was handing out like pamphlets or cards teaching his audience how to stream because most of his audience is you know in that urban ac market and they don't necessarily stream that's a pretty smart move right yeah i mean i really wish we're trying to get tank on this podcast and we will someday soon it's just it's just very interesting because you were at his show last night and you told me about the set list and, man, it is not really what you'd expect from Tank if you grew up on his music because he went from being that adult, grown R&B singer to now making it a more popular sound. And I hate to use the term settling out, but it's almost like he's really trying to evolve to be more mainstream so that his career will be extended in that in that way. Um, this is a 40-something-year-old man doing this now, you know, this trap sound. I mean, it's not like a young kid. So he's doing well with it right now. Uh, but man, I, I just can't see this working in the long term, guys. Not yeah, it's gonna be. Oh, it's gonna definitely be interesting. You know, like I mentioned, I was at his show, um, two days ago, and his set list is very different. Cause Tank, I mean, Tom, I know you've been to a handful of Tank's tours, and um, you know, it's always very similar. It's very R and B driven. But the one I went to this time. It was a lot more turn up, I guess. It was a lot more music from his last two albums. And honestly, the only two old Tank songs from pre-2008 
were please don't go and maybe I deserve. So we didn't get Heartbreaker. We didn't get One Man. We didn't even get Slowly, which those to me are like staples in the tank discography. They are, but you have to realize he's singing to a different audience right now. And as we've seen that this shift, it has paid dividends. But like Tom says, I'm just not coming. I'm not, and I'm sure y'all will light up the mentions. Y'all know where to go. E.T. Bowser on Twitter is where you come come wish death upon my children. But my point is, I think that at this direction, I just don't see it going long term because the audience that is being built is very fickle and very for the moment. Well, the long standing day ones who want to hear the slow leads and those who will ride with him. Maybe the mentality is they aren't going anywhere and I can go back to them later, but I don't want you to take your core audience for granted player. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because when we interviewed him last year, he talked about how one night he was opening for Ty Dolla Sign or something. And the next night he was opening for earth, wind and fire or something like that. Man, he's not going to get those Earth, Wind, and Fire looks anymore at this rate because that's kind of the position he's putting himself in. And if there's not another hit trap single like this coming down the pike, which he's only released one single from this album so far, really, or had success with, how is he going to sustain this movement, especially as he gets towards 50 years old? I mean, I just don't know. Yeah, but you know what? We'll have Tank on this podcast very, very, very soon. We are, we're actually working with this publicist on it as we speak. So we'll let Tank speak on it because obviously Tank, we've met him a handful of times. He's a good dude. Kyle, I heard that Ed will be sitting that one out and we'll have Barry Bars in his place for that episode. <laughs> <laughs> Ed, you going to join us for that one? I don't know. I'm going to have to check my schedule, see what's going on on the calendar that day. That's messed all up, right, man. All right. That is. Tank is the R&B general. You got to be there for that. Um, now, this will be very exciting. Ro James is back with a new single produced by Salam Remy, and they brought Biggie back. For his you birthday. know this one speaks to my heart. Yes, this one well, it wasn't his birthday. It was the oh, his um, anniversary of his, yes, of his untimely passing. But Ro had kind of set some things out, and I think he even said on Twitter that he had been going through some personal things that he would expound on later, but he wanted to take the opportunity to debut this new track, and I love it. I think that Roe is one of those artists who really is going to help push R&B forward in the next couple of years and be the ones to kind of move the, evolve the genre in a positive way that's not just riding on trends, and I really, really like this joint. Dope. I actually um, met up with um, Ro James just a couple of days ago at that Tank concert. It was Tank, Ro James, Raheem Devon, Keisha Cole, and Kerry Hilson. So, uh, you know, I had some time to talk with Ro, and I actually interviewed him. So you guys stay tuned for that interview. He had a lot of interesting things to say, and uh, he has new music coming. I think he's dropping an EP relatively soon, so be on the lookout for that. Um, exciting news for you all. Tom, we got a chance to interview... The legend, Snoop Doggy Dog. We did. That was a pretty exciting moment for us. Uh, it was a conference call, or a press conference, actually, he had for his new album, Bible of Love, which is a gospel album, and we were invited, and uh, it was a cool moment. It was a little intense. Uh, when it comes to press conferences, you really got to fight your way to get your question in because there's so many people involved, but we both got to ask a good question, and it was a cool experience. I, what do you think, Kyle? Yeah, it was really, really cool, and 
I ca- Ed, I kind of wish you were a part of that conference, and maybe in hindsight we should have invited you because you actually listened to the album, right? I did. I listened to the album. I did not get a chance to re- review it because, good Lord, that thing is like four hours long. Man, <laughs> y'all in these long albums, y'all got to tell you, killing the reviewer here. But um, I really like the album, and of course my comments on it caused quite the controversy on social media because, you know, that's why y'all keep me around. But there were a lot of people in the gospel community who were not cool with this album because, oh no, Snoop's a rapper who smokes weed. He can't dare do gospel. Well, listen, players, y'all know my rule. I don't allow you, if you have not heard an album, I feel like you should not have an opinion on it. And people who have heard the album can speak on it. I've heard all 32 tracks. Snoop Dogg, for the most part, really doesn't have much of a presence. He takes a back seat. And it's the Marvin Sapps and the Patti LaBelle's and the Clark sisters and all these legends and Charlie Wilson who kind of step forward and lead the way. Snoop will drop a verse every, I don't know, six tracks or so, or maybe introduce the artist. But he's more of a master of ceremonies and, and Snoop album per se. So it's really kind of a compilation of gospel greats performing like the old BT celebration of gospels. That's kind of what this feels like. And I don't think that we should, the gospel community should shy away from the album just because Snoop Dogg is on it. Because the whole point of gospel evangelism is to get these songs in front of new audiences. I mean, you can literally preach to the choir if you want to, or you can get a Snoop Dogg to get this type of music out to a different audience. Snoop Dogg's audience is a whole lot different than Marvin Sapp's. But if Marvin Sapp is doing his thing and introducing it to a new audience then Snoop's done his job. So before you hate on the Snoop album, actually listen to it because the album is pretty dope. It's just long. Even your can grandma just, would like it. Trust me. Can I just ask you something, guys? Because what was obvious when listening to him speak about the project was how passionate he was about doing a project like this. And it's going out on a limb for an artist like like him. But how come, like, I don't hear that passion from most artists when they create a project. How is it that he's able to do that? And we don't get that from the majority of the artists nowadays. Most seem like they're just going through the motions putting an album out. Well, I can't speak for the others, but in Snoop's defense, I know that he felt like this project was a long time in the making. He grew up in the church. He has made he's a lot of friendships with these big name artists. So it was something he was truly excited and passionate about. And you can tell because when an artist is passionate about it and not going through the motions and just fulfilling their contracts, the music's going to be stronger. The presentation's going to be better. The rollout's going to be better. He's going to promote it better. I think when you have that passion and that drive behind it, it shows in the music. And if you just want to throw it out there and just get it off your plate, it's going to sound like it's going to sound like. And you're going to be mad because I gave it a low review. Plus, Tom, Snoop made an album about God. You can't put 50% into God. It has to be 150%. You got to bring in KC from KC and JoJo on the album, too. Come on. Oh, yeah. KC right. was there. Oh, yes. <laughs> Crazy. So, Ed, we're going to pass it on to you. I know last week we didn't have a Soul Back episode, but we did put out a bonus track for everyone, and this was me and Ed going off about culture appropriation with Bruno Mars and all the knuckleheads and yes I'm going to keep calling you guys knuckleheads because some of you guys are going a little crazy with this with this culture culture appropriation word but play a please award of the day Cassie according to Vogue magazine is the R&B queen Ed 
<sighs> now listen, there's lots of things wrong with this, and I know some of y'all like Cassie for whatever reason. You like to look at Cassie, okay, whatever. But first of all, I a part of me does not take this seriously because Vogue Italiana is the one who who did this. What? What standing or why should we believe or trust what they say in the world of R&B? What, what credibility do they have to crown someone an R&B queen? So on that level, it's easy to dismiss it because who are they? No offense to Vogue, but who are y'all to be crowning an <laughs> R&B queen? However, my beef comes from all these, the think piece posse on Twitter who spent the last week defending the name of R&B by throwing Bruno Mars under the bus now, suddenly, we've got an outsider, yes, I said an outsider, claiming that oh, Cassie is the queen of the genre you were just defending a week ago. Now, you ain't got nothing to say. Where's all the defenders? Where are the think pieces? Where are the videos? Where's the fussing and arguing? Where is the defense of R&B? We got to keep R&B strong. We got to defend it. We can't let these outsiders mess up our music. Well, these outsiders just claim some random chick. The queen of R&B, where you at? I know where you at. You're not on it because you're not jumping on the bandwagon with everybody else. And you probably missed it because you aren't tied into the R&B community like you said you were last week. So, you know how I always say, real recognize real. And some of y'all have been looking mad unfamiliar for two or three weeks now. So, please, if you're defending R&B this week and next week, you have no idea what's going on. Please miss me. R&B is just fine without your input. And Cassie ain't no queen. Man, Diddy must have wrote a nice check that day. <laughs> you, know, you know what's interesting? You posted that on our Instagram, Kyle. And uh, not only did you have a, a, a fan, a Cassie fan defending it, but you also had a publicist who came on there to defend it. So I, I found that interesting. Was it Cassie's publicist? Uh... It was someone we know well. Uh, go back and re revisit. <laughs> okay, I you will. Did, you didn't that. see that. It's a, it's funny. All right, I'll go check well. it out. But you know what? You know what? We talk about Diddy paying them. Tom, I know you're with me on this. Ed, maybe you're fifty fifty. But if Diddy came to us and offered us a year supply of Ciroc, I think we might have to call Cassie the R and B queen as well. I'm just saying. Oh no, please. You gotta do for one Ciroc. and buy my love with some liquor, player. For Ciroc, I mean, I'd I'd take that deal. I don't know if you guys would. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> Damn. All right, so we gotta behave because every week we're gonna bring in a special guest, someone who's brought soul back, someone who's made contributions to the genre. Tom, who's our special guest today? Man, we have uh, the real honor of having Nokio from Drew Hill with us, really a member of one of the, the best groups uh, of the 90s, R&B groups, one of our favorites. Um, has done so much in the industry, even with his production outside of the group. And uh, just really fortunate to have him to join us here to real talk about R&B music, because I know he's really been involved in the genre over the past couple of decades. So pleased to have Nokio with us today. What up? What's up, man? Uh you know, Nokia, but, but before we get into it, man, we, we had to ask you something, true or false. We, you were involved in this Maya song called, If You Died, I Wouldn't Cry Because You Never Loved Me Anyway. Is that true or false? That's true. I wrote that. Man, that that, that has to be the saddest title I've ever heard of a song. <laughs> I mean, where did that come from? <laughs> I wrote it with, um, actually, 
wrote along with uh, Raphael Brown, who was one of the writers on In My Bed. And I don't know, man. I get. I was. I was oh man, I was young when I wrote that song, man. So <laughs> you know, it was. It was kind of like I think one of those, like if you're young and like you're having a fit or whatever, and like all your emotions just come out, and not all of it might really make sense, and you might not even mean everything that you're saying right then, but that's just that's just how it came out. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> Man, when I heard that, I was like, damn, that Maya must be going through some things. But, I mean, with your debut, Tom, I'm going to pass it over to you because we always have this discussion, Nokio, that April showers and all alone, that is that is the greatest one-two punch of all time. Oh, wow. Wow. Oh, man, appreciate that. I mean, yeah, we we really just wanted to brag on your debut album, Drew Hill's debut album, man. That was, like, front to back, I mean, classic album, one you could just listen through. There's so many good choices for singles on this album like we always rant about april showers and how that that would have been a great choice for a single but man we all just love this album i guess just talk about what you remember most about creating this classic oh man i mean there's so many so many things you know just um you know the process of writing the songs before we even you know had a deal like a lot of that stuff started out you know, in the hallways of school or, you know, sitting on my mom's steps or, you know, in the room with the equipment, for real. You know, um, it was kind of like, actually, I want to say that maybe, like, All Alone was one of the first records that um, the production company that we were signed to at the time heard that really, I guess, made them see that you know, our problem that we had at the time was that our voices were really mature and we were writing all this, you know, kind of like mature stuff, but, you know, we look like kids. So, you know, those songs kind of just helped bridge the gap and really ramped up the attention, like um, All Alone, April Showers, um, So Special, you know, those were like the, the first records that, came from you know us internally that really just opened up the door for us to you know have a chance to even have songs on our you know debut album or you know be able to go in the studio and really start learning you know production and how to record and stuff like that dope now nokio we have ed from so in stereo on here and he is actually keith sweat's number one fan and we always give him an opportunity to ask a keith sweat <laughs> question and of course keith keith worked on this album so ed what's your question for nokio well yeah my man keith worked on that album that we were talking about a little bit earlier one of my all-time favorites drew's debut but not only that beyond that drew has worked pretty closely with keith throughout the years they had the reality show um, I think you guys did a track with him maybe a couple of years ago that was on Keith's album. Talk a little bit about his influence on your career. Well, I mean, I had to say, like, before, you know, I had a deal and anything. And it was funny because I was just listening last night to I Give All My Love To You. Ah. And, you know, I thought about the video and it's like I, I went and tried to find the coat. You know, I tried to have my hair like Key Sweat. You know, like I like you know I I was a Key Sweat fan. You know, so you know to be able to work with him, you know, straight out the gate, you know, was incredible. And I mean, like it's a 
the story behind it, you know, I'll give you the short version, is that, you know, we were, like, pretty much finishing the album and everything. And um, we got these two songs from Keith, which, you know, ended up being um, the Love Train remake, Confunction, yep. and uh, Share My World. So we got to the studio, and Keith wasn't at the studio yet. His um, his music director was there, and, you know, one is co-producer. So, you know, we were sitting there, and they played the records, and we were like, uh, man, we don't want to sing these songs. Like, we, like, do we get something else to choose from? Like, y'all just telling us we got to sing these songs? So, you know, his um, his the guy that was there, Grip, you know, he, you know, pretty much expressed to us, like, well, I mean, you know, it don't matter what y'all do either way. Like, so then Keith finally got there, and, you know, we expressed the same thing to him probably a little bit differently because it was Keith as opposed to somebody else. And, you know, he basically just looked at us and was like, hey, let me tell you something. You know, <laughs> <laughs> when you sell three million records, baby, <laughs> you could decide what you're going to sing or not. But right now, we're going to sing these records. So, you know, it was, it was like, what you, it was like, what you going to do? I mean, it was a whole bunch of other stuff that had moments of, like, cussing and all that right now. So, but, um, you know, we went in, we did, um, one of the groups that he had at the time had done the backgrounds on Shit in My World. And we had this, you know, like, like, we didn't have, like, we had that night to do the session. So, you know, Keith was like, look, man, forget all that. Like, if y'all be singing on stage and we ain't singing the backgrounds, just getting there and sing the lead. So Cisco went there and sang the lead. Then we got the love train, and me and Jazz went in the booth and, you know, started doing all the, um, you know, the background part. And, you know, once we started doing that, it got a little bit more fun. And then, you know, it was like, all right, man, we do like this song for real. Like, be sure he even played it. It's like something that we listen to. So, you know, from there, you know, it was a it was a while before we actually got to work together again, but Keith was always, you know, just in the background and, you know, when we decided to go back out on the road in two thousand eight, he was the first person that we went on the road with. So, you know, and that kinda like birthed the reality show and, you know, being on his radio show, like you said, recording the song with him a couple years on ago on his album, and you know, now he's just like that's, that's Uncle Keith. You know, anytime we near or you know here around, you know Baltimore, Maryland, or whatever, it's like, hey, that's what he was going on. Come on, sing it. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, it was like you don't get a lot of you don't get a lot of people that you build genuine relationships that last in this business, you know, it's kind of like very few and far in between, but, you know, Keith has definitely, you know, been one of the people in the business that's, you know, supported us the whole time. Man, that story was worth it just for the Keith impersonation, because that was perfect. Now, Nokio, something we always think about when we think about 90s R&B is the soundtracks and really how impactful they were and, and what special projects they were. I know you guys, Drew Hill, had some really special inclusions on soundtracks like We're Not Making Love No More for, for Soul Food and How Deep Is Your Love for Rush Hour. Um, I mean, just tell us, like, what did it mean to have a part on those type of soundtracks and what it did for your guys' career? 
Oh, man. Well, you know, starting out, I want to say um, our first soundtrack was um, the How to Be a Player soundtrack with um, when we did Big Bad Mama with Foxy Brown. And I mean, oh, you know, yeah, I remember that. You know, just for us, you know, being able to work with Foxy, um, being able to work with Def Jam, being able to work with um, Misa Hilton, who, you know, style is, you know, we were still fresh in the game. So it was like, oh, man, like, hold up. Like, we really make them. Like, I think we were in Florida, and um, Chris Lottie, rest in peace, you know, call and, um, you know, it was like, look, we want you to do the song. And, you know, we went to the studio and the rest is history. Um, from there, of course, we did um, we did Soul Food. Well, no, we did Eddie. We did Eddie before that. That was the first, first one. That's where Tell Me came from, um, yeah. where we went and they played us. They played us Tell Me and um, Dave Hollister was singing it. And they told us, look, if you sing the song back, the hook in like 15 minutes, we'll come back and sing the hook. Then you had a song out in 30 days. And, you know, of course, it sounded like something out of a movie. So we like, yeah, right. But sure enough, we were in the hit factory in New York. And it came back in. We sang the hook. And 30 days later, you know, the Eddie soundtrack was out. Now we get to Soul Food. Wow. Which, um, you know, was just like an incredible moment because, you know, it was like we got to work with um with Daryl Simmons who we had already worked with on um in my bed and we got to work with Babyface, which was like I you know and Babyface had actually come to us at one of the Soul Train Awards and, you know, just walked over and was like, Hey man, I really wanna work with you guys and you know, right there that's like the seal of approval for real. It was like, baby like we had to call him up and say, All right, how much we gotta pay you to get a record? Like he came to us and said, Like I wanna do a record with you. Incredible. Wow. So, um then <laughs> you go from you go from Soul Food and then you have Rush Hour soundtrack, which, you know, was like I think at the time you know, we probably got paid more than like any other group that ever got paid to do a soundtrack. We got to go to Hong Kong and hang out with Jackie Chan, the movie production company, along with Brett Ratton that shot the video. And, you know, um, it was personally, you know, like my first number one record as a, um, as a writer and producer, you know, along with Cisco and Warren Campbell and my man Dutch. So, you know, like we were really, we were really just fortunate that, you know, now that not only were we able to be a part of soundtracks for a lot of big movies, but, you know, we were able to use those things to kind of just like shift the tide in our career and, you know, give us, a little bit more exposure along with, you know, what we were already doing with the albums. And then I want to say, because I feel like I'm forgetting something. Oh, we ended up, um, I ended up doing the remix to Beauty, and then that was on Best Man soundtrack. Yep. And then I did two songs. One, I got nominated for a Grammy. So I would say, did Not I Be Like with Foxy Brown, and I did one of Rough End's first songs along with Scola, who would later on be in a group. Um, please don't forget about me for the Blue, Se- Blue Streak soundtrack. 
I remember. Hold up, then I had a song on the Into Deep soundtrack too with R. Kelly and Jazz Means the Trackmaster did. So I mean I forget about stuff, man. I ain't gonna lie. I probably, like <laughs> if you ask me like every record that was ever done, I'm definitely gonna forget something. <laughs> man, I'm looking at this rush hour soundtrack. You had How Deep Is Your Love? You had Faded Pictures by Case and Joe, and you had Can I Get It with Jay-Z and Ja. That's three smash records on one soundtrack. That's unheard of. I mean, it was, you know, like, I remember I had gone up, like, I was pretty cool with, you know, the Def Jam staff at the time. You know, I used to hang out at the office, and I just happened to go this one particular time, and Leor was actually, he was on the phone with Brett Ratner and the head of New Line. And it was just like, hey, Nokio just walked in my office. And we were just finishing up. Um, and it drew. So, like, how deep is your love? How deep is your love and real freak weren't on um, the original and it drew album? Both those songs got done for the Rush Hour soundtrack. And they kind of turned into like a little friendly competition because, like, Cisco did real freak. And I did how deep is your love, even though he did it with me and you know it came down to this um we were outside his house and like the whole band was there like everybody and it was just like all right look we're gonna play both the records and we're gonna see what record everybody likes so you know obviously everybody picked how deep i think that you know he probably got mad for a second i don't know <laughs> yeah. but you know i mean it, you know, it was like we were young still and you know it's like but so why are you mad because like like you wrote the record with me, like I don't, but you know, maybe long story short, you know that became history. You know, Real Freak ended up being you know the first song on the album, and Kevin pushing. Yep. Ed and I'm looking at this soundtrack now for Rush Hour, and there's a lot of songs on here that aren't album songs, and we always make fun of you for um, you know still listening to CDs and not using Spotify, but. I mean, if you're using Spotify, you're going to miss out on a lot of these songs, right, Ed? See, I keep trying to tell them, Nokio, they don't feel me. I am okay with streaming, but I'm still that brother that cops that physical album because I'm not going to be a slave to Spotify. If I want to hear some Jaw song from the Rush Hour soundtrack, I'm going to pull out my CD and we good to go. I ain't got to worry about the label politics, so my soundtracks are good to go. Y'all got to stop sleeping on these physical albums. I mean, you know, I, you know, I'm one of those, I'm one of the, um, I'm one of those people that's like, I feel like what you put out is what you get back. So, you know, it's like I got all my streaming subscriptions, but you know, it, I definitely will not only buy the, the the album, you know, on iTunes or you know wherever else, but I'll go buy the physical album too if it's something that I really love. And if I love it that much and they got the vinyl, I'm going to go get that to you. Because oh, man. I, just, I just feel like, I mean, that's what we do. You know, it's like right. hand in hand. So it's like it, somewhere where I put that energy back, out, I'm going to get it back. I feel you. Now, as we were preparing for this uh, episode of the Soul Back podcast. I came across a very interesting comment, and I don't think I necessarily agree with it, but someone did say that when Cisco went solo, that sort of created a shift in the industry in terms of groups being a thing because once Cisco found success, I think 
labels started pushing more towards solo acts. Do you agree with that, Nokia? I mean, I don't know if I agree with that fully. I mean, I think. Well, I mean, I think that I think that more than anything, like there were like there were no other groups for real. So you know, it's kind of like you had us coming off of like Wild Wild West, and then you know everything between like the label shift and Woody leaving the group goes into um, you know Cisco's solo album. Now, you know we could have came back right away and made another album after the first one, and you know that would have just you know, short everything up or whatever, I guess. But that's just, that's not the way that everything, everything worked out. So I think that, you know, with nobody else really being there, because I think like at the time, no, no, that, that was afterwards. No, at the time, you know, it was really just us left out there at the forefront being a group. And next thing you know, it's like we three people, which, you know, was a little confusing to people. And then Cisco had an opportunity to do something that, like, you can only really be a hater not to let it, um, not to let it happen. So, you know, I mean, I, I don't know if I, I mean, I can't fully agree with that. Right. Now, Nokio, I know you've also done a lot of work behind the scenes with Def Jam with Atlantic as an A and R. Um, just talk about that a little bit. Oh uh, well, um, since we were talking about Drew Hill album, um, when I I always wanted to be a rocket man. Like even even before I was in the music business, when I was young, I had a friend of mine from Baltimore named um, Donovan, and he had a deal on East West, so. It's like I used to, you know, he would tell me, like, look, man, just tell him you want to come up and be a background singer. And then once you get there, just tell him you're nervous and you can't sing or dance or whatever. And, you know, just so you could just, you know, come see what's going on. So from there, um, the guy who was Ann Arnhem at the time used to take me to the a and meetings and, you know, just let me sit in the back of the room and listen to everything that was going on. So, you know, like that's what I wanted to do, like, from day one. But I didn't know at 14 years old and what have you, you know what was the best way to go about that so you know that's where the music came from you know what i mean as far as you know starting the group and everything but when i started doing and off a of def jam it actually came off of the heels of uh, um uh failed attempt to to do a drew hill album pretty much and I was always, um, I was always, you know, like I said, cool with Kevin and Leor and, you know, all these people. So the album didn't work out. And um, I was talking to Leor one day and he said to me, well, um, he was basically like, well, Nokia, I'm so sorry this didn't work out. What can I do to make everything good? So, you know, I'm like... You know, most artists probably would have asked for some money or some jewelry, car, you know, something. And I was just like, man, I want to be an A&R. 
And he looked at me like I was crazy. What do you mean? If you wanted to, I would have given this to you years. I was like, man, I just want to be, I just want to be a hand on, man. That's all I want. So, you know, they gave me an office in L.A. and I moved to L.A. And I started working. My first project was Third Story. And I moved out to L.A. and I worked with them and, and Tracy and everybody um, for about a year. And then the uh, the alarm went off that it was time to do another Drew Hill album. And, you know, I mean, the whole time was kind of like weird because I kind of just had to, like, leave what I was doing and go back and do a Drew Hill album. And then on top of that, it was like, you know, I had, like, Tina Davis as my boss, as an A&R. But then we flipped right back to me, like, being an artist and that. It was all just, it was it was a great learning experience, but it was definitely weird. You know, like, my buddies like to call them, my boy says, like, man, you got, you got to go behind the fourth wall. And most artists don't get to do that, for real. So, you know, I, from that point forward, it definitely changed my perspective as an artist overall because it was stuff that I understood after that that was happening that before you know, I just be, you know, I'm happy to be here, da da da, and then you get to see what happens for real. It's like, hold up, man, like this business is crazy for real. Like, you really mean it? So, you know, I just decided from that point forward that I was just going to gain as much knowledge as I could about the business and not have to be held by anything. After that, I went to. um we did the Drew Hill album and everything. We did. I think that was um, Independence Day, and I went home for a couple of years. Had a son, and then um, Tina Davis. Uh, she found Chris Brown, so she had asked me to hang out with Chris. You know, just like kind of be a mentor. You know. So it was like cool. So you know, Chris like coming over the house, we like hanging out, you know, stuff like that. So he's like, "Look, man, I want to take you to, um, want to take you to Trey Song's video shoot." Well, I got to leave. So we jump in the car, we go to the video shoot, and I see Troy Taylor. Now I know Troy. We tried to work together on Enter the Drew, but it didn't work out. So you know, I saw Troy, and it's like, "Oh man," you know. He was like, "Man, where you been?" I was like, "Man, I've been in the house, man." You know. Business crazy right now. I don't really feel like being bothered with nothing or nobody. And, you know, he was just like, man, I need, you, know, you got to come out the house. So, you know, I met Trey. I met Delonte, a few other people. And um, then maybe like a week or two later, I got a phone call. Like, hey, um, we had a conversation with Kevin. And, you know, we had a choice on who we wanted to end all the album. And we want you to come in all the album. So I'm like, man, I cool so you know that was another time i had to like pick up all atlanta we got a house and you know really just like grinded it out from you know top to bottom like my first time doing and uh, like a death jam it was you know really really about just like being in the office and like i was going into demo drawers and having meetings and all of that when i went to atlantic it was you know really solely about that Trey Songs project. So, you know, we just did we did everything that we could to, you know, take what he already had 
and, you know, Wade was going, coming off a guy to leave and just, you know, bringing him into, you know, a little bit more mature audience without making him, you know, old. So, you know, we rented the house and it was crazy, man. Like, we had a stripper pole in the basement and, like, every time he would record a song that was dope, we would bring the strippers over and to celebrate and stuff. <laughs> and, um, you know, I actually got a chance to... um to work with Static from um, Player, he came oh. in and um, he came. In. Static is like you know not one rest in peace, man. Static, I gotta say, is like one of the dopest songwriters that like I ever got a chance to see write ever. I mean, like he could literally write to anything and write a dope song to it. So, you know that was cool. But you know, like I said, we did that. We were down in Atlanta for probably like six months, something like that. And then, you know, we came back. And um, from there, you know, I spent a lot of time, you know, at that point just in the offices, in the meetings, you know, explaining the project to everybody, getting everybody, you know, on board. And it's like we did Wonder Woman. And, like, everybody in the label was excited about the song. And it was like, oh, man, we're going to do all this stuff. And we, you know, went up to Canada, shot the video with Lil X. But the, it was like something got confused in there. And, like, that wasn't my part of what I do, so I don't even bother with it. But it was kind of like I had a question, which was, I don't understand how you're telling me this record not working. But I can pull up every show that this boy is doing with thousands and thousands of people singing the record so you know it was like all right well we're not going to um keep pushing this record we're going to move on to i think can't help but wait was the next single and then you know like billboard I had like hit indicator so maybe like two weeks later the record came back as like you know this record go number one which totally like frustrated me and like made me want to go home because, like, a lot of times, you know, like, when you're in the business, people who have, how can put it, people who have authority don't necessarily have as much knowledge as you do. So unless you, you know, at the tip top of the, you know, totem pole or, you know, a part of the inner circle, the fact that you have knowledge and ability and all these other things don't really mean anything to somebody and just pick up the phone and call somebody and get a record. So it was like after that, you know, I had an opportunity right after that to stay on and work on um, another project for like a big artist. But, you know, Drew Hill sign came around once again. And, um, you know, it was just kind of like, you know, I don't, it, for me, the notes, meaning music notes, all turned into numbers. And I was sitting there, and it's like, if somebody comes to you as a creative person and says, well, I want you to make a record that's going to get 100 million in audience, what exactly does that record sound like? It's not like I need you to make a record that's going to make all the girls go crazy, it's going to make everybody cry, or that's going to play in the club. I need you to make a record that 100 million people are going to listen to. And it's like I didn't want my creativity to die. I felt like I still had too many years left 
to be creative and, you know, make new things and push forward. So it was like, I, I can't be locked in these four walls for real. You know, it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about Trey songs. We actually talk about him as one of the last, uh, solo R&B acts to make it, make it big because a lot of the artists who came out in the mid two thousands are struggling now to, you know, maintain that relevancy. But we wanted to get your take. Would you see, like, as a member of Drew Hill, like the marketing that was put in by labels to artists, you know, in the 90s versus the 2000s, you know, as artists were coming out? Like, did you see a big difference from your end? Well, yeah, I mean, it was a definitely a, it was a big difference because, you know, with us and, you know, artists from our time, everything was about making and creating a marquee artist. And, you know, whether it was um, the A&R, you know, along with the music being part of the development of your look or whatever, or the stylist coming in, or media training, or, you know, whatever it was, everything was covered to make sure that you had the foundation to be here. But, see, once everything turned around to research departments, as opposed to, you know, people really going out and, like, finding and, and developing talent and things like that. I don't think that the tools were there for artists to become anything more than a record that they made right then. You know, it was like nothing, you know, radio went from, okay, here's the record that we want to um, push now we're going to give it to y'all and you go push it at radio to the radio department coming to you saying, well, out of all these records, I think this is the only one that I'm going to be able to, you know, make happen. And none of that had to do with necessarily going in the radio station and potentially getting thrown out like our radio reps did fighting for us to get records played. It's like, if I can't do it on the phone, then, you know, it's not going to happen. You know, you got a bunch of artists that nobody felt like it was important to teach him how to perform. So if you, you had the greatest record in the world, I mean, if it sound like nails against the chalkboard when you go perform it, it don't make no difference. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to listen to that past that. So, you know, I just, I just think that, you know, being able to see what happened with Trey and then see all of these other artists like, all this development just went out the window and it just turned into a thing where you got a hit record, you know, and especially if you got a hit record and you got a little momentum going on it on your own, then we'll just throw some money behind it. You see if the record you get bigger, but you know, we're not going to teach you how to do none of the other stuff that's going to have you be in this business. So I hope you just keep making these, you know, hit records and that can just sustain you and eventually you learn how to perform or something. Now, Ed, I know last week you were kind of going crazy on Instagram and Twitter because of the whole Bruno Mars situation, but um, Ed, I'll ask you first in Inokio, you can chime in, but what do you think it would have been like if Drew Hill came out in today's social media era? And you know, you guys were heavily influenced by Jodeci, but Ed, what do you think would have been the outcome of that? As I was saying during the Bruno Mars mess a couple of weeks ago, I just feel like that social media is quick to react and not 
quick enough to think about how music has developed. Because I was around when Drew hit. And when Drew hit, a lot of artists and a lot of fans were saying, you know, oh, this is the second coming of, of, of Jodeci. Nobody was saying they were jacking Jodeci's style, stealing from Jodeci. They were like, oh, here's the progression of that sound. And I feel like in 2018, we're so quick to react and not really think back on music's history. So, unfortunately, if that happened in this era, yeah, we see a whole lot of fans battling it out on Twitter about who did what and who was influenced by whom and who is stealing from whoever's culture. But I would like to get Nokia's thoughts on it. How do you think fans would react in 2018 to the progression from the Jodeci era to, to the Drew Hill era? I mean, honestly, man, I think that the internet somewhere in the back of somebody's mind was created for people who would never say anything that they say online to anybody's face. Real so, talk. So, you know, like, it's so much of that right now, and it has been for a while, that... It's like, I don't even know if people really have arguments or complaints about stuff or if they just have something to say because a bunch of people can say it. Like, I don't, you know, like, I feel like, you know, I feel like what happened back then would just be personified because more people are able to see what's going on. You know, like when people were talking about us when we first came out, that was like a conversation that you had amongst people that you were around. It wasn't, you know, and we were just like getting like AOL chat room and stuff like that. So, you know, the the word and everybody's opinion wasn't able to really snowball, you know, as much. But, you know, because you have that access and everything, you know, I'm sure that, you know, I probably would have been online cussing a couple of people out by now, for real, just <laughs> not even, but not even for what they were saying, because you're entitled to your opinion. All right, that's fine. You feel like I sound like whatever. That's cool. But people just take it too far and it goes past an opinion to, you know, it's like you don't have people that's going to jump out here and say stuff just so you can argue with them so they can they can screenshot it all and be like, look, he was arguing with me. You know, so, yeah, I mean, okay, everybody has a progression for somebody. Now, if you want to take the Drew Hill part, all right, cool. Yeah, we, we for us, it was like Boys and Men and Jodeci, and we felt like we would be – the the evolution of that. We thought that, you know, we took a little bit from both of them and, okay, this is what you get from it. When you come into the business, people get to know you by association. Like, that. Like I don't care what nobody says. There has to be some type of, oh, that reminds me of, or don't that sound like, or whatever else, to get people to initially get into whatever it is that you're doing. You know, it might not be your whole, uh, the whole thing you do as far as music. It might just be a feeling. It might be the way that you look or something. It's something that people are going to compare things to. That's always going to happen. It's not going to stop anytime soon. And that's just what it is. I just think now 
because people had the option to make their opinion known over such a widespread area that people just, you know, people just create stuff. It's like, you know, you take the Bruno Mars thing, and it's like, is he appropriating? Is he black? I mean, like, all right, we got plenty of racial stuff going on, but does everything have to be a black and white issue now? Because, because you know, everything else that's going on in the um, – you know, in the background, you know, it's like you make the argument about all of this cultural appropriation stuff in his situation. There's some other situation we have a conversation about. But, I mean, like, in this particular situation, you know, if if you have somebody that, you know, has been respectful of the music, um you know, is constantly shouting out or whatever it is, whoever, whenever, and at the end of the day, creating something that's making you feel good and, you know, help bring back the sound and continue to, you know, push it forward with all the revamping and the fact that this younger generation loves the 90s. It's like, what is the argument for real? Is the argument about the music or is it an argument that somebody started online somewhere, like they do all this other stuff, and just decided to take the, the argument from being about music solely and turn into a race thing? Because that's the cool thing to do now. Ain't going to stop Bruno Mars' money because the song's going to keep playing on the radio. Yep. <laughs> I don't see nobody, I, I, you know, I don't foresee nobody standing nowhere and start no bonfire of Bruno Mars records. So for me, what's the point? Is my only question. Like what like what to do not like it. If you don't like his music, don't play it. If you in fact feel like that he's doing something that you don't agree with, you ain't gotta listen to it. But that one definitely, you know, like that whole argument kinda like hit me from left field coming, from, you know, off the Grammys and everything. It was just like, I don't, like, this just seemed like something that somebody decided to make an argument because people can argue online. <laughs> well, exactly. Nokia, the entity has spoken. Y'all get out my mentions. Argument over. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was just saying, man. I mean, like, real, it's so, it's so, it's so many things. Like, if we really want to have conversations about, you know, losing the opportunity to do certain things, and you know, having other races being able to maximize off of stuff that you know we doing, we create, we can have that conversation all day long. But my man right. just made me pretty old with Cardi B, and it's like, look, why are you messing with him? I wonder why are you messing with him? <laughs> Out of all the people in the world, like, the man has not, like, made a bad record in a minute. Why are you messing with him? When there's so many other people you can mess with and legitimately right. mess with and have something to say about and, 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 and maybe push forward a real conversation. I mean, I don't think, you know, and then it's like on top of it, you didn't have all the greats come out and say what y'all talking about. So then the, then it's like, all right, well, then the only thing I can think is that 
maybe it's the younger generation keeping the conversation going because a lot of them don't have no respect for nothing or nobody, so they just going to have some crazy thing anyway. Right. Well. <laughs> well. Wow. <laughs> that, I ain't heard. That, I have not heard one lie on this podcast, so I'm just I'm just chilling. I'm chilling. Ed, I told you we were gonna. We had to get Nokio up in here. He's gonna tell the truth. He does his research, but Nokio, I want to flip flip the script a little bit. We have this thing. Um, it might create some enemies, but we definitely want your honest opinion on it. We have a running joke on our podcast. You know, of course, Ed's favorite artist is Keith Sweat, like I mentioned earlier. Tom's favorite artist is one of your Deaf Soul alumni's Music Soul Child. So I'm just going to ask you straight away, who's better, Keith Sweat or Music Soul Child? Oh, man, come on now. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, they both like my boys. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know what? Y'all not gonna get me on that one. I'm 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 gonna answer that one like this. <laughs> Keith, Keith is a legend. Keith still goes out today, and will sell out a show with a whole bunch of women in there falling out, screaming, you know, doing whatever. I was there today. That music got signed. I remember sitting in Kevin's mm-hmm. office. He's like, man, I got this dude for Philly, and he got a song, and this started beatboxing at the beginning, blah, blah, blah. I think music is a great artist also. I think that, you know, he brought a lot of great songs, you know, during, you know, the time that, you know, he was, like, really, really all over the place. And, the song, and those songs are still great today. So, you know, I don't think the music has, like, gotten a chance to do all the things that would get him to the point of being able to, you know, like, really have that conversation and, like, put those two things together because you're dealing with somebody who went platinum in the 80s, so four million records in the 80s, and you're talking about somebody that, you know, hasn't even had that amount of time to do anything that the other artists has done. Now, if we're going to go just on black and white, I'm pretty sure that if you ran the numbers, Keith probably got, probably sold more records and probably, um, you know, has had more number ones and, you know, whatever else. Again, time and, you know, the timing that it came out. Music had number one records too. Younger generation probably know who music is before they know who Keith Sweat is. So, you know, depending on who you're talking to, you're going to get a different answer. So, you know, and then again, and then along with that, like, I'm a professional diplomat, so you're never going to get me caught up in answering <laughs> a question. That's going to make me sound <laughs> crazy. Anyway, but, you know, I, I just I just had to say that I can understand both of you guys' reasons for, you know, the way that you feel. If we, like I said, we had to go by the numbers, Keith will probably come out the winner. But, you know, if you ask somebody in their 20 about a bunch of Keith Sweat records, they're probably not going to have too much of a conversation with you. <laughs> All right, because I, I got one more matchup that I want you to answer. But on this Keith Sweat and Music Soul Child thing, if you're not going to answer who's better, uh, of these two artists, who was the last artist that you listened to on your iPod, if you can remember? Okay. Who would it have been, music or Keith? 
I told you I was listening to Keith last night. Exactly. Oh, there you go. So, <laughs> so we got our women. We good. <laughs> All right, Nokio, one more for you. Two female artists, Faith Evans versus Monica. Ooh, come on, man. Y'all, <laughs> y'all are ruthless, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know what? Ah, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. uh, see, Mm-mm. I'm gonna. You know what? I got to plead the fifth on that one, y'all. I mean, y'all like <laughs> because y'all because y'all. It's like you're not just like naming artists, but like you name people that like I know that like you know <laughs> I gotta see. You know what I'm saying? And 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 I've never I've never thought about it like that. So you know if. If you want, like, if you want to ask me the same question that you just asked me about music and Keith Sweat, then I would say that Faith is the last person that I listen to, that I was listening to as soon as I get home on Monday. But four days before that, I was playing Monica. So, wow. Oh. <laughs> You know, I can I, You know, that's that's like, you know, that's like close. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you're not going to answer it, Ed, I'll I'll pass it to you. Faith Evans or Monica. And we've had these talks before. I gotta go with my. And you know, I love both. Absolutely adore both. But I gotta go with Faith. Like Faith to me is one of those legends who, I feel like she should have been kind of like the Gladys of our generation or the or the Anita of our generation. That top level artist that had the number ones and the classics. And I feel like in 2018 just doesn't give that legendary tag that she deserves. So I got to go with Faye. Big Faye. Hmm. Now, Nokio, we got to I know I know you're running short on time, but we got to ask you. We do this with every artist and we'd love to hear what you know, is on your rider, on Drew Hill's rider, maybe back in the 90s and now. What's something on your rider that's out of the ordinary or just that that no one else would expect? You know what, man? I got to be totally honest. We don't have anything. We are probably, like, the easiest, like, easygoing, you know, like, can you just make sure we got something to drink, you know, and some chicken, maybe, and, you know, we just come and do the show. We've never... I don't think I don't think we've ever had any um any like crazy requests or you know something that um somebody need or they gonna go crazy and if it was it wasn't nothing on the rider so uh, nah we like for real like man you know we were the artists like we first got in the business man it's like everywhere we went we got there before everybody it was like if we had to shoot a video we was there for the director we walking around shaking everybody's hands saying thank you for everything you know it's like you know i mean i guess maybe at some point we um we might have you know wowed out a little bit as artists you know just like anybody would do being a teenager and having hit records and stuff like that but for the most part we just cool man it's like give us some water make sure the microphones work mm. and if the music don't work <laughs> just make sure the mic's still work and we're singing acapella <laughs> and then w- one more question uh nokio we'd like to ask every artist this too what's your drink of choice 
what's my drink of choice? Actually, I'm like about 60 days into um, not drinking. Oh, okay. But, um, but, be, but, but definitely before that, you catch me with um, with some tequila. It used to be Jack Ooh. Daniels and Hennessy, but that made me not act the way I should act. So I had to find something that, you know, was just going to keep me level and cause them to not have to carry me out the back door of nowhere before nothing happened. <laughs> God. All right. And just to wrap up, man, before we get out of here, we just want to ask you what you're currently working on, what we can expect from Drew Hill coming up soon and all of that. Oh, man. Well, you know, we um, – we we right after we did our um Christmas project, we went right in and um started working on songs. So right now we're in the um just in the gathering and writing process. We got a few songs that um you know, we definitely love and you know, we just looking forward to getting this project out this year. I mean, if it, you know, you leave it up to me, I would do too. But, you know, I'm not a slave master, so I can't make nobody do nothing. But, you know, we got, you know, you got that, you know, you see this on the road, you know, um, still working with my rock band. We actually got Black Angel down. We got some new stuff coming. And um, other than that, man, it's, uh, we, you know, we we started on the book. Uh, we got a few other surprises, but, you know, honestly, man, right now, we're just happy to still be here. And, um, you know, I think our biggest focus right now is um, pushing these next few years uh, until the first time that uh, we can get nominated for Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm. Right. So, oh, like we, actually, we went there last year, and um, we actually uh, ran into, like, the president of the whole thing. And, you know, he was, like, talking to us, and he was like, man, you know, like, a lot of times, you know, people just think that, you know, rock and roll is about a bunch of white guys with guitars. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he was like, that's, you know, not anywhere near what the essence of it is or, like, where, you know, came from. And, you know, he was like, you guys definitely, you know, have a story between the lawsuits and just, you know, everything that you've done in your career that you know, would, you know, make you a good candidate. So, you know, from there, it was like, hey, look, man, I want to be in Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I don't care if we don't <laughs> like each other. <laughs> had to speak. <laughs> Just like, same when the microphones come on. <laughs> but we got to make it so we can get at least to the point of having the opportunity to be inducted. That would be, and I think it's like 25 years, that would be 2021. So, wow. you know, we just... We're just doing everything we can, man, just to keep the fans happy, you know, stay happy and healthy, and continue to be able to show gifts that continue to be bestowed upon us. It's amazing, man. Well, that's all we, we had this this time around. We thank you so much for joining us, man. You've been such a great guest. You had some great stories with us. Thank you so much. Now, that was, wow, that was a great uh, segment with Nokia. What did you guys think? I had a ball. I love Nokia's um, insight into the industry, and I love his diplomatic approach to all of our questions. Shout out to my boy. But it still, it sounded to me, 
sounded to me, player, that he was on the Keep Sweat train. So it's all good. <laughs> yeah, he shared some great stories with us. I mean, a lot we didn't even realize, you know, his work as an A&R and that type of stuff behind the scenes. But, you know, I'm looking forward to some new Drew Hill music. He, he mentioned they were back, you know, working on some things. So hopefully that's coming soon. Absolutely. And shout-outs to Drew Hill's manager, Kevin, for hooking us up with that um, that that special appearance by Nokio. And we want to quickly now go into the Soback track of the day. Tom, this is your part. What is the Soback track of the day? And if you want, you can name one by Cassie just to piss off Ed. But <laughs> I'm sure you won't do that. So let's just – what is the Soback track of the day? I was actually going to do that, believe it or not. Ed, will you allow that? <laughs> I won't, but I can't stop you, so go ahead, dog. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> you, you. You ready? You ready for this? In honor of of Kyle meeting her in person, because I knew that was a big moment for him, we're going to go with a Carrie Hilson song, Pretty Girl Rock. I saw your Instagram post, Kyle. Great song. Oh, that's why you're my boy. And shout out Ed, to you Carrie Hilson. Ed, do you even like that song? I can't see you liking dis- that song. I despise that song. But don't get <laughs> oh, me. Come on. Come I'll on. be another 20 minutes fussing about that song. I can't stand that song because the whole song, she's dissing other women. Like, how is you, you're defending women by talking about how ugly some other women are? Oh, my goodness. Well, that's classic <laughs> Neo and Chuck Harmony right there. Oh, yeah. I yep. forgot that that was that era. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I did, uh, like Tom mentioned, I did uh, get a chance to meet Carrie Hilson, who that was, guys, like that was my era. I remember following her on MySpace before she even blew up. So that was cool. Um, it was crazy because I was backstage. I had just interviewed Raheem Devon. So stay tuned for that interview. And then I also interviewed Ro James. And as I was walking back to the stage, I saw this lady and she was like six foot five. And I'm like, why is she so tall? And then she turns around and it's Carrie Hilson and she's wearing heels because Carrie Hilson is pretty just tall in general. So, uh, yeah, we got to chop it up for a bit. I was trying to interview her, but her manager wasn't around at that time. So I just had a chance to talk to her. Really cool, you know, like for all the hate that she gets on the Internet, like she was like the coolest person I'd ever met. She was super nice. So um, definitely looking forward to upcoming music from Carrie. She told me she has a lot coming. Um uh, to us very soon. It was very interesting though because I don't think she signed a Timbaland anymore. Um, but mm. we'll have to see what happens. But definitely, Carrie Hilson, we love you. <laughs> <laughs> I will say I never understood, and I don't understand a lot of stuff about the internet these days. But I never understood the Carrie Hilson hate. Like it does. Like I don't get it. Like why are y'all bullying this shit? I don't understand it. And it's I know she said since... something about Beyonce like a thousand years ago or some weird stuff like that. But, I mean, come on, y'all. It's been almost eight years since her last album. That's crazy. And, That's uh, insane. Yeah. It's probably, and, and I feel bad because it's probably something. Do you realize she's 35 now? That's crazy. Wow. She didn't look 35 so, when I saw her. I mean, <laughs> but yeah. Um, so, Carrie Hilston, new music coming soon. But, Ed, what's going on with SoInStereo.com? What's new there? Man, we got a lot new there. Um, check out the site if you haven't already. I reviewed the new album from my boys, Royce the 5'9 and DJ Premier, Prime 2. 
probably my favorite album of 2018 so far. Check that one out. Um, I don't know if I discussed my review of August Green. I think we talked here on the podcast, their, their collabo with Brandy. They remade Optimistic from um, Sounds of Blackness. Their album dropped, I think, two weeks ago. So check out the site. I've got a review of August Green as well. Another good project. And, of course, coming up this week, I've got new love letters. I'm coming. The love letters crew have been like, when are you answering my question? And we're going to get back on the love letters this week. So if you got some love issues, we're going to handle that. You can see me while out there. And hopefully a review of Tony Braxton's new album. Mm. Mm. That's true. Man, I can't wait for that one. Tom, what's going on with um, you know I got soul.com? Well, we did uh, the the interview with Snoop Dogg is up on the site. But we talked about it before, uh, and then you've got some interviews. You've got you're about to publish, which you've talked about. Uh, when can we expect those? Very soon. I actually just published our interview with Sir from the TDE camp. They finally got back to me and said, "Go ahead and post it." So shout outs to the Top Dog Entertainment community posted that one so check it out a lot of interesting stories he's behind a lot of songs that came out in the last couple of years from glenn lewis to joe scott to genuine so stay tuned for uh i mean that one's already on the site so go check that one out and then uh ro james did an interview with him and did an interview with raheem devon who is one of the most knowledgeable people in r&b i Mm. think he even has his own radio show right tom he did for a while i don't know if it's still going on but he definitely did have it it was pretty cool actually right um actually can i tell you guys a funny story before we gotta get out of here because you know we talked to nokio about his rider oh man <laughs> so i'm afraid I was to see the, where this is going no i was in the dressing room uh doing the interview for both ro james and raheem devon they have separate dressing rooms and i'm not sure if this is intentional but like i was in raheem devon's dressing room and he had like a seafood platter he had uh he had bottles of vitamin water bottles of water i think he had like a salad and then i walked into ro james dressing room and he had chicken fingers and like hennessy listen <laughs> li- listen and i'm gonna tell you something right now i love my chicken but even i don't need chicken fingers man come on that's lo- that's bottom of the barrel right there i mean listen let my man Ro is just the realest that you can find. I love that all he has is chicken fingers and henny. I love it. No, but chicken fingers is like, that's not even like he chose that. That's like they just slapped that on the table and was like, here's your dinner. <laughs> oh, here's a bottle of Hennessy with it. <laughs> you know? I'm sure he did not turn down either. But that does sound like a kid's meal. <laughs> and uh, I got to give you guys one more jewel before we get out of here. Uh, so as I was packing my camera gear away, Raheem went on stage to perform and I was alone in Raheem's, uh, dressing room at the time. No one else was in there. And I took a bottle of vitamin water and walked out. (laughs) Thief. (laughs) No, no, no. It's for, it's for the room though. It's not, it's not like his property. I've been in those situations before. I've taken bottles of water before. Oh, so you're a thief too. It's not like we're walking out with a bottle of Hennessy. It's a bottle of water. It costs a dollar. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to invite you guys to the house. Oh, this PlayStation 4 game is just sitting right here. This is for the room. Listen, after the PlayStation 4 game is not opened yet, it's up for grabs. And I do have a couple still sitting in the plastic, so I see who I got to watch. Right. 
So, Raheem, if you're listening to this, uh, we'll pay you back for that vitamin water when we get you on this podcast. But until then, guys, I mean, this has been an amazing podcast. Shout-outs to Nokia once again for all those stories. Yeah, shout-out to my dude. His Keith Sweat impression is still the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> that was really good. That was an amazing impersonation. Um, but until then, we are out of here. Oh, by the way, we are now on Spotify. So if you want to find us, we are on Spotify as we are cool. on SoundCloud and YouTube and all those outlets. But check us out. But until then, this is Kyle. I've got Tom with me and I've got Ed and we are out.